Hi, Grace City. My name is Chinwe Adani. This is Zach Sumi, and him and I are co-leaders of the Growing in Grace Ministry, which is our adult education Sunday school ministry here at Grace City. That's Jamon Bailey and John Crooks, and they're up here representing all the teachers we've had um, in our ministry. And I just wanted to read the mission for our ministry, which is to develop mature believers who connect with God and one another by engaging in biblical exploration. So we were asked, how are we experiencing wonder this season, personally, and as a Growing in Grace team? Personally, I see wonder in nature. I try to go for a walk before the sun goes down or before Fort McHenry closes. Sometimes walking home, there's a dynamic sunset over the neighborhood, this neighborhood. Or I also wanna share something that uh, you might not be familiar with. Uh, while most of us don't get to see something like a penguin in its natural habitat, you can see a similar bird. It's a small uh, black and white, uh, small, very, uh, very sharp looking bird called the bufflehead duck. And it just migrated south from Northern Canada and it's here. It's a small compact diving duck and there's about uh, 50 to 100 in the water right off the storm wall. You don't have to be an experienced birder like James or an aspiring birder like me to enjoy this bird. Uh, you can just go there and you can watch it and, and watch it and enjoy seeing it dive for fish. In the same way, the Growing in Grace discipleship class, uh, we just completed an eight-week class on how to study the Bible, taught by Jaman and John, and uh, that was on Sunday mornings for an hour. Uh, the class taught everything from observing the patterns of Scripture to interpreting the principles of Scripture. While it is extremely helpful to study and learn as much of the historical or geographical context in scripture, the primary purpose of studying is not to learn for the sake of learning, but we were reminded that through the class, the purpose of studying is to, um, studying scripture is to change your life. And I can say that the class did change my life. We saw that there was wonder in the fact that whether you're like Nicodemus with a lifetime of exposure to scripture, or like the woman in the well with a short exposure to the living word, it will change your life. Thank you to Jamon and John for taking us deep in the text, but also reminding us of this. And if there's any Bible study topics you're interested in, please introduce yourself to, to us, to Chinway, or to me, Zach. And uh, yeah, we'd love to talk to you about any ideas for classes you have and ways that we can, um, can use these good, good uh, teachers that we have here. Uh, we look forward to studying and growing in grace with you. A reading from Isaiah chapter 9 and John chapter 1. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word of the Lord. picked it up yet the theme this morning is light the light of the world we're singing that but bow your heads close your eyes 
And let's pray for those who are living in the land of deep darkness this morning. We know certainly around the country, waking up in Mayfield, Kentucky, or Missouri this morning, there's still darkness because of the incredible, unimaginable damage that's been done to their community. We know right here, just a few blocks from here yesterday, there's darkness in the lives of a family that experienced a killing yesterday. And around this city as well, there's darkness for way too many. So as you sing, would you pray that God's light would be shed into these lives and communities and into your own heart. Just pray silently as you sing this morning. Father, we lift up all the sisters and brothers meeting today in Kentucky, Missouri, Baltimore, around the world, who may not even notice a view like we see out this window here at the BMI this morning, the bright, glittering light of the harbor reflecting off of buildings. What a beautiful day, and yet for way too many, Lord, it's just trouble. And it feels dark. And we lift up our sisters and brothers around the world right now. And we lift up each other in this room. All the stories that come into this room, even in the midst of a glorious day, there are troubles and there is darkness. And yet you are the light that exceeds all expectations. You are the light that puts out darkness. You are trustworthy. You are constant. And the light puts out the darkness. So Father, shed that light into each one of us here and around the world this morning. Do it in ways that we recognize that it comes from heaven and not from within, that it comes from you and not from us. Because you are the one who makes all the difference in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen. Grace City Church, welcome. It's so good to see you all here today. It's great to be doing theater in the round or the half round or the quarter round or whatever. I don't know what round this is, but here we are. And it's wonderful to see you. You might remember, Rashima, that back in 2010, uh, the story came out of the United Kingdom uh, uh, of a Chinese vase that sold at auction for $85 million. Now, what was amazing about this story is the owner of the vase had just died. He was a 70-year-old man, and he uh, had had this vase on the top shelf in a uh, uh, second-story room. It was a rickety shelf. The vase had sat there, and he never, in his four years of, of having this vase that had been passed to him by another family member, never understood what it was worth. He thought it was just a vase. He thought it was just occupying space and decorating a shelf. When he died, it caught the attention of an expert who said, there's something about that vase that we ought to check into. And as it was passed to his sister and his, and his nephew and to their ownership, the expert had it appraised and the price kept going up and up and up as they found the history of this vase. And finally, it went to auction for $85 million, Jermaine. But what's amazing to me about this story, Grace City, is that it sat on that rickety shelf for four years and its value was never comprehended. And, and it strikes me that for us today in the midst of this Advent season 2021, we can 
we can acknowledge and celebrate the value of our relationship with Christ, the value of God's invasion uh, of earth through a baby, and yet we can look at it right in the face and never understand its true value. We like to celebrate it, sing about it, put lights up about it, but the value of it today, what does it mean today? We, can, we have this capacity as human beings to look right at something and not understand its value. Why? Because we don't expect it to have value. And church, when we don't expect it, we, don't, we often just don't see it. Well, that's where we are in this morning's reading that you heard um, from Isaiah in the Old Testament and John in the New Testament. These texts merge for us today. And they describe what we'll get for Christmas if only, if only we'll, we will open the gift that God gives us at Christmas, the wondrous gift he gives us, if we will understand its incalculable value and then reflect its value to the world. And we'll, we'll close with that today about reflecting the value. So this, the Christmas gift that these two, the, the prophet uh, Isaiah and the uh, apostle John speak of, the Christmas gift is light. It's light, and we like Christmas lights. Raise your hand if you like Christmas lights. Tens of thousands will go to Hamden Street, 33rd Street in Hamden this year to see these lights. They occupy and, and decorate space. They remind us of the metaphorical meaning of, of the, the, the light that occupied the first Christmas, and we love to celebrate this once a year. But the problem is that year after year, we fail to grasp the value of this light now, today, in the new year coming in 2022 because we don't expect anything of true value now and today. And psychologically speaking, church, when we don't expect something, even when it's right in front of it, we tend to miss it. That's just human. So let's raise the bar this morning. Let's wonder this morning. Allow yourself to wonder at what this Christmas light is up to in 2021 and 2022. What is it up to that can not only decorate your world, but change your world into a world where you and your neighbor can thrive beyond human expectation? Do you expect great things of God for yourself and for your neighbor? And I don't, I'm not talking about trouble-free life, Mark. I'm not, that's, can we just get rid of, that's not a thing. That's not a thing in our faith. It, it, Jesus never said, you'll be trouble-free if you follow me. As a matter of fact, he said the opposite. Pick up your cross. Wow, there's a challenge. That means it's not going to be easy. So it's not trouble-free. That's not a thing, but, but it's trouble-responsive. It's trouble-responsive. Thriving, it's, it's the capacity to push ourselves and others to thrive in the arenas that are lit up by kingdom priorities where our life on earth reflects the heavenly light of God. On earth as it is in heaven is a prayer that Jesus taught us for a reason, to reflect his light here on earth. So that's my invitation, uh, and that's our title this morning on this Advent Sunday, Wonder at the Light, Wonder at the Light. And the subtitle might be Great Expectations. Oh, that's a good title for a book. Is that taken? Great, I don't know. To do this, we'll follow the biblical trail, and we'll talk about darkness and light all at the same time because the Bible does. And we'll talk about the shadows in between because the Bible does. And that leads me to my first point this morning, which is foreshadows. Foreshadows, and this is where we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 9. Now, Grace City, we don't know the, the accurate date of Jesus' birth. But to, to celebrate it in December works for me. Does it work for you? 
Like some people say we ought to have a July Christmas because it'd just be a whole lot more freedom walking around. But, but I love celebrating in December, Corey, because we, we head into winter darkness. The days are shorter. The shadows are murkier. The world is, is troubled. We, our, our news this morning is troubled. And it's no wonder that we can wonder if there's any light at the end of the metaphorical tunnel. We have, uh, as therapists, we deal at this time of year with seasonal affective disorder. That's a real thing that the darkness, the shadows, the murkiness affect our emotional and psychological health. But I would say this, that the darkest time of the year is perhaps the best time of the year to celebrate the coming of the light of the world. Because the prophetic foreshadowing of Isaiah takes place also in a dark context. Did you pick it up? When you read it, here it is again in Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Okay, that wakes me up. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, the details of Isaiah's troubled times and the darkness that he is writing of, you know, I can unpack that, but it's nearly irrelevant, Corey. And wh why would you say that, Bob? Because they're not unique troubles. They're, it's not unique darkness to his time. His darkness embodies... And if you do some research in the time of Isaiah, his, his darkness embodies the, the evil of racial oppression, of homicide, of refugees from violence, of homelessness. There's almost bottomless grief and hurt. And this same darkness is present in the time of Jesus. When Jesus is born 700 years later, the same things are going on. And we're still very familiar with such darkness today, aren't we? We prayed about it just a few minutes ago. 2,700 more years after Isaiah we experience the same kind of darkness. So today we could put up pictures of Kabul, the border, Baltimore, racist rants and killings and funeral tears, which we've all experienced so much, and, and each would have had their equivalents in Isaiah's time. Are, are we clear on that? And it's not only evil darkness, Corey, but it's, it's ignorant darkness. Stay with me on this. Y you may not know it, but Isaiah, John knows this, Isaiah wrote to a self-help generation. He did. They were eager to scrape comfort from, from wherever they could find a semblance of promise. Any source but their God, of course. Any source but God. Scripture tells us they look to mediums and magicians and spiritists and conjurers. And we have our equivalents today, don't we? We look anywhere but God. We, we look to social media remedies for health. QAnon for, for political dynamism. We even... Look to pop stars and celebrities to help us make sense of the word, any world, anywhere but to God and his word and, and his provisions. It reminded me, Mark, that Vaclav Havel, when he was president of the Czech Republic, said, uh, and he said it well, he said, humanity forgets that it is not God. Ignorant darkness is not new to us now. But in all this familiar darkness, watch this, Grace City, Isaiah writes of Christmas as if it's already happened. But it's 700 years before the event that we celebrate just 13 days from now. And Grace City, he's writing of a Christmas he never saw. Foreshadows. And, and by the way, he's not saying, cheer up, Israel. I remember a sign I saw years ago in somebody's house at Christmas time, and the sign was bordered with tinsel and, and, and pine cones and whatever, and very Christmassy-looking sign in it. And it's, it said, cheer up. Things could be worse. And then in small print underneath, it said, so I cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. <laughs> Which I thought that was kind of odd to have as a Christmas sign, but there you go. 
But Isaiah is not saying cheer up, and that's not what this sermon is saying. That's not what the text is saying. There's something much bigger. Isaiah, for his part, foreshadows a godly intervention. Listen again. In the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Do you see it? Do you hear it? It's about an invasion of heavenly light to come that will extinguish the deepest dark. A shadow of death type darkness. Tolkien called it a light for when all other lights go out. That kind of light. And anybody can talk about light, right? But Isaiah sharpens up his talk, and the light he foreshadows turns out to be a person. A child, in fact. He says in verse 6, For unto us a son is born, a child is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So this is a birthday, 700 years prophetic before it happened, this is a birthday with leadership attached. More, more royal than presidential because this kind of leadership is born. Royalty is born. And here is the light we long for, finally born to us. So this dance of shadow and, and light foreshadowed in Isaiah comes to completion. It comes to fulfillment, really, really, in the Christmas story of the Apostle John. We don't usually go to John chapter 1 for the Christmas story, but it will delight you this morning the way it delights me. Someone once wrote of, wrote of Jesus, by the way, um, he descended into greatness. Think about that for a minute. He descended into greatness. And that's what gives me the title of my second point this morning. From foreshadows, we go to lightfall. Lightfall. He descended into greatness. So the Apostle John picks up the theme of light from Isaiah, and he details a wondrous narrative. Here it is. So, so when Isaiah says the child given with a government on his shoulders, John runs with that, starting in verse 2 of chapter 1. We're going to preach John verse 1 next week, but anyways, verse 2. So the child's given, and he was, here's John, he was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was, has been made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness is not overcome it. Now, don't miss John's purpose. The light is not simply an event to celebrate and go to Hamden or to, to 33rd Street or put up a tree. All that's great, but it's just a symbol. The, the light that he's talking about illuminates all of creation from the beginning. All of purpose, all of meaning is in this light. In one of his most famous analogies, C.S. Lewis wrote this. We believe that the sun is in the cloudy sky, not because we can clearly see the sun. In fact, we can't. But because we can see everything else. This is the kind of light John's talking about. This is the nature of heavenly light. So John takes us back, but further back than Isaiah. All the way back to where the Bible begins in the creation account of Genesis 1. Now, remember, Grace City, this is John's version of the Christmas story. But there's no manger, there's no angels, there's no wise men or women around. And don't forget that if we'd had three wise women, that whole story would have changed. It would have been better. But, but, but here, they would have at least brought food, right? I mean, food for the baby. There'd been a casserole, I think. But here again, we find in John's Christmas story, we find light. And it's, it's so big, it, we have to break it down. You read this, church, and you have to wonder at the light. And I'm going to show you something here so that when you see the trees, the, the lights on your trees again when you go home today uh, and this week, I want you to think of these chapters in Isaiah and John. So here we go. From our time in 2021, 
we're going back to the birth of Jesus, but we're going further. We're going back to the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years further, but we're going further. We're going all the way back now to the creation of the world because John is taking us there. So stay with me. There is no doubt as to the link between the story of Jesus' arrival in John's gospel and the creation of the universe. No Jewish reader would miss this, and, and neither should we. Look again at verses 2 to 4. Uh, at home, you'll see it on the slide, but you can look at it on your phones here. It's the light, capital L, that links us to the creation story because as John describes it, this word, Jesus, the logos, that we'll preach this next week, is not only preexistent at creation, that's verse 2, do you see it? But he is not just a source of all creation, that's verse 3, do you see it? But he's also light to all people. So we've got to go back to this creation story and see where the link is. And it gets really fun here, Brendan. We're all about the fun in Scripture. Because John is on the trail of something absolutely cosmic. I can't find a better word than cosmic. Do you got some, is there a better word to, to get big? You will remember as you, as you read Genesis, and I'm not going to put it up on the slide, but you can open Genesis 1, but much of this you, you'll probably remember. But the inaugural verses of Genesis You'll remember that on day one, God's first words after creating the heavens and the earth, his first words were, let there be light. And he separates the light from the darkness and gives each one a name. The, the light he calls day, the darkness he calls night. And remember that separation because John speaks to it later and we'll come back to it. But then on the second day, God creates sky. On the third day, he creates the land and the seas. And then on the fourth day, watch this. On the fourth day, God creates the sun and the moon and all the stars. And therefore, what comes across to the reader is that the light for the first three days of creation is not light from the sun. And so, Grace City, there is a mystery about this light that is present for the first three days of creation before the sun is formed. And it begs the question, just what is the light that is obviously essential for those first three days? And John, John, in these verses we just read, hits at the heart of this mystery, saying that the logos, the word, Jesus, is the indispensable light of all humankind since what? The very beginning of time. Let me show you another angle on this that might help. Let's talk about the separation of darkness and light that we mentioned earlier. Remember in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that it was darkness moving over the face of the deep, remember? And the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. So darkness ruled in that primordial chaos, spirits hovering over the waters, and God's first word of creation, let there be light, brings order to the chaos. The light puts out the darkness. So John picks up on this metaphorically in his own verse 5 and clinches his argument by mirroring Genesis, where the darkness was overcome by God's words, let there be light, whoosh, I mean, let there be light, whoosh, darkness is put out. That's Genesis. Same thing here in John. He, Jesus, the word, came into the darkness. His light shines there, and the darkness has not overcome it. Mic drop for the Apostle John. And the Jewish readers would get this socially. Here's the literary evidence for us for the, for the Father, Son, and Spirit present at creation, the Trinitarian creation of the world. It's cosmic. It's cosmic. And Great City, do you see it? This is really great news for somebody here this morning or somebody online this morning. 
because John makes it clear once and for all that, that though light and darkness are opposites, they are not opposites of equal power. Somebody say amen. This is not dualism. Yes, there is darkness. Yes, there is light. Y yes, there is life. Yes, there is death. But it's not dualism in God's economy. It's not yin and yang in God's creation. It's not a pick em at the betting line. It's, it's not a zero-sum game that we love to talk about. When I was in college I learned, as a freshman, and then we did this year after year for many times, but at Penn State, in my undergrad years, there was, um, how many went to Penn State that are here? A bunch of you. Yeah, there's a handful. And um, uh, I don't know, James, Brittany, if you, did you ever go caving when you were at Penn State? Well, I did a lot. And, um, or call it spelunking, but these weren't, these weren't the tourist caves where, you know, you pay something and walk into this giant entrance and there's lights. Like, no, these were little holes in the ground that you would drop into illegally because they were on somebody's land. And, um, and you drop into it, and it would go for layers and layers and miles and miles. Like, and you'd be at times just tight and wondering if you were stuck, and then it would open into a giant room. But, the, but what you learn about caving is that when you turn out your flashlights or your headlamp or whatever, it is absolute darkness. There's complete, you can't see your hand right in front of your face. So we would do this thing when we would take some of our young life kids caving, and we would uh, get them all into one of the rooms that, you know, it just, we called it the chapel because it was, a, it was a big room. We're seven layers down. We're a mile away from the entrance. We're in this room. We turn, everybody turn out their light. And then somebody would light a match. And what was amazing is af after experiencing absolute darkness, the one match would light up the entire room because light always puts out the darkness. Always. In a mystical moment of his writing, Lewis described God as, well, let me read what he said. This, was, this is kind of cool. The pure light walks the earth, and the darkness received into the heart of the deity is there swallowed up. Where else except in uncreated light, Jesus, can the darkness be drowned? That's what it was like in that cave. The darkness drowned in the one match. Make no mistake, church. This is not poetry from John. He is deliberately speaking into the mystery of creation here and testifying to Jesus as the pre-existent light of the world there from the very beginning. We, we, we can't miss this. So here's where, how do we apply this? Beyond our annual Christmas celebration, beyond our Christmas trees and 33rd Street, how might we understand the cosmic value of light and the application of light today? Because if we don't, if we don't expect it to do something great in our lives, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it, just like that Chinese boss. So look at verse 5 again from John, and then I'm going to show you something Jesus taught about you and me when it comes to light. So John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Now, there's a lot of scientists in this room. That's one of the cool things about Grace City. And if you're a physicist of any sort, you may come and correct me on this, but this is the best I know. I find it fascinating, Grace City, that light energy is perhaps the only kind of energy that cannot be stored. Are you with me? Am I right? Like, because light is always moving. It's, it's so fast that you can't contain it, even with perfect mirrors, which I understand we don't have the capacity to make a perfect mirror. But even if we did, it would only keep the light for a fraction of a millisecond because it's moving so fast. We can store cold in the form of ice or other things and have it be practical uses. We can store heat 
your own thermal mugs that you have by your chairs this morning are storing heat. It's practically useful for a bit. We can store electrical charge in the form of batteries for a period of time. It has a practical use. But we can't store anything in the form of light. Not in helpful amounts, at least. But here's the thing. We can convert light into energy and then convert it back to light again. And you might ask, why does that intrigue you, Pastor Bob? Because I'm odd. But, but here's why. It seems that in a similar way of thinking that you can't store up the light of Jesus for yourself. You can't put it on your shelf like you do that gift you don't want. But you have to bring out when your in-laws come. In the darkness of the back of your closet. You know what I mean. You have, Jamon, you got ties and stuff back there, right? We can't do this with the light of Jesus. It's moving too fast. It's too active. It's, it's too perfect. You can't keep it on a shelf. So when we follow Christ, stay with me, the light that puts out the darkness, and I'm just following the metaphor of light here, okay? When we follow Christ, he converts it into an energy for us. It's Holy, Holy Spirit-driven power that can make us Christ-like ambassadors that look like the light of Jesus to the people who need us in their lives. Here's a better way to think of this, because Jesus said it himself. In his very first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, he wanted us to know this about the storage of light. So here it is in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You can look it up here, or look, you'll see it online. But he says to you and me, Caroline, you are the light of the world. Jessica, you are the light of the world. James, you are the light of the world. Donald, you are the light of the world. That's Jesus' words, not mine. He goes on. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Why? You can't store light. This is Jesus talking. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says this, in, in the same way, you light of the world, Alan, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Listen, Grace City, God has his reasons for this conversion of light in you and me. He has his reasons. You see, God sends his church where normal people just won't go. Stay with me here, because this is where it gets applicable and challenging. He sends his church into the dark places. He sends his church into the shadows, the valleys of death, if you will. He sends us when we feel underqualified. He sends us when we feel overcommitted. He sends us when we're sore and tired and anxious. He sends us when we have no idea what to do or what to say. He sends us. He just sends us, and he says, you are the light of the world. Rabbi Elliot Kukla once described, once described a woman with a brain injury who would sometimes fall to the floor. And the people around her would rush to immediately get her back on her feet before she, before she was quite ready. And she told Rabbi Kukla, I think people rush to help me up because they are so uncomfortable with seeing an adult lying on the floor. But what I really need, she said, is for someone to get down on the ground with me. It's on the floor, Grace City. It's in the valley. 
It's in the darkness where we and our neighbors need the light, and you are the light. And that's where God wants us to be, on the floor. He wants us on the floor, and the darkness is, darkness is very real on the floor, isn't it? But it's no match for the light of Christ in us, because the light puts out the darkness. Listen, whether you're looking for God or living for God, we all must face darkness and shadows together. We all must look at the light together. Believers and non-believers, we actually have a lot in common. We must face the darkness together. And there's, there's times when the darkness may seem overwhelming and the light is barely flickering. And John may well be writing here to those who are close to giving up because, because they find the darkness so dense. But, but light wins, Grace. Somebody say light wins. Somebody say it louder. And this, church, this divine lesson, of course, was never more true than it was at the cross. Let me remind you of the cross, the darkness of God's judgment clouding the midday sky, the, the mockery and the scorn and venom of his enemies surrounded him, Jesus' lifeless body being carried to the tomb, buried in a tomb, the light seemed seemingly extinguished. But if you read to the end, and you have, three days later, flame springs to life one more time the light wins it wins today it wins forever because of that resurrection and we need to hold on to that truth whether you're looking for god or living for god hold on to that as the worship team comes up if you're looking for god come talk to one of us this morning sometime before the end of the year i mean there's no time limit just come talk to us if you're looking there's good news for you in our text. Just a few verses later in John chapter 1, he adds this. To all re who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's some light there. There's good news for anyone out there who's looking for God. Keep looking. Come talk. If you're living for God here in this room, if you're living for God at home, then wonder at the light, won't you, again this Christmas? Won't you notice it like that Chinese vase? By the way, I found in... In my house, a vase this week that has been there for years, and I haven't looked at it, so I'm, I'm just going to go with the fact that it's probably an $85 million Chinese vase. The fact that it has Nicaragua written on it, um, I don't remember bringing that back from one of my trips, but, but I'm going to pay attention to this vase. Now, here's the deal. Pay attention to the light. Won't you expect great things from the light again this Christmas? Maybe it'll be the first time in years if you're living for God that you had looked. But if you're next time you sense his call on you, it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 2022. I'm sure it'll be 2022. But when you sense his call on you to go somewhere you would never go without him, will you go and be his light? Because verse 5, take verse 5 with you. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's who you are because of Christ. This verse is talking about you. So go where normal people would never go. The light still wins. Let's pray, and then we're going to worship together. Father, we thank you for the light, the cosmic light, way beyond our trees, streets lit up, the light that always wins, the light that puts out the darkness. Father, we pray this light will shine brightly in the communities in Kentucky, Missouri, this morning after the tornado damage. In the light of the, the home just a few blocks from here where, where a death has just invaded. And in, in the, the light in Baltimore that is 
so needed that comes in, in so many forms. Bring that light constantly in 2022, consistently, so people can see it maybe for the first time. Bring it around the world, your light. And Father, remind us to be your ambassadors of light. You called us the light of the world. We don't even have to live up to that on our own. It's your spirit in us, hovering in us, that will make that light happen just because of you in us. So Father, we thank you for your light. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's stand and sing and worship together. Sing with us, and we'll be back with the offering and the benediction.